Never be the one who says, I have no idea. Unlock the full picture and get unlimited access to unique data and respected business journalism that advances your understanding and business. Subscribe today at housingwire.com slash membership. Welcome, everyone. My guest today is lead analyst Logan Motoshami to talk about inventory and inflation and what's going on with the Fed. First, here's a word from our sponsor. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at Housing Wire, with Ryan Marshall, CEO and founder of Equity Protect, to talk about a very specific and growing kind of fraud risk. Ryan, what is being done today about deed fraud? We've closely collaborated with prominent title law firms in the country to identify the actual vulnerabilities that are associated with the financial crime. Our focus has been to understand how the crimes are facilitated. We've explored all legal mechanisms and we've aligned our solution with the existing laws and constraints that are customary policies in the, in the transaction. So fortunately, what we've done is we've successfully devised a range of methods that harmonize all of these elements together. Our approach combines a biometric multi-factor authentication, authenticated transactional hyperledger layer, and a newly crafted copyrighted property notice form that's accepted in all 50 states. In essence, our service parallels to a credit lock that you would find you know, when you lock your credit. We actively monitor and prevent any suspicious activities that ever happen on your property. Thanks, Ryan. Listeners, find out more information at equityprotect.com. Logan, welcome back to the podcast. Sarah, how are you doing today? You know, I knew you were going to bring this up first thing. I just I just want to make sure, you know, there's no hard feelings since we work together. And, uh, um, you know, a lot of people enjoy our banter, but, you know, after a defeat like that, and, you know, I mean, I, I just felt bad when you, when you asked the, the attendants, uh, the people attending the conference said how many hands would raise for the mortgage rate lockdown. And it's just, what was it a lot? It, so, it was not uh, a lot. I just want to make sure everything's okay. Everything is good. I am a good loser. I also know that there are many people who are not in that room who support me on the mortgage rate lockdown, but I actually think it was a great discussion because you went through all your points. I brought up you know, counterpoints. It did not win over the audience, but we did have a good discussion. And afterwards, we talked to a lot of people who liked the dichotomy of like what I was really talking about was transactions, which you were t- really talking about was inventory. So, um, Sarah, when it comes down to it, winning is everything. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, I know. As, as you made clear. So, just so our audience understands, we did that at, um, we did that at Housing Wire Annual yesterday. Uh, we closed out the conference with it. It was actually really fun. Tons of people stayed in the room. And then at the end, we, you know, we invited their questions. Um, it was, it was a really interactive thing. So very fun. Glad we did it, even though I lost. So there you go. It's okay. It's, you know, fighting, you know, most people don't even dare to even challenge me. So it's, it's a good thing that you're, you're willing to, to go out there. I am willing, and I actually still think I'm right. So I know you still think you won. There's a I lot do. of housing bubble boys who think they have won for the last 12 <laughs> years too. So now you now you know how they feel. I'm not one of those. Okay, we do. I, I do want to talk about inventory, right? So this is really the time of the year where we typically see a seasonal decline, but this has been such a crazy year for everything. So uh, let's talk about inventory and how that how we might see some more inventory. So. 
Part of the mortgage rate lockdown discussion for me, at least, has always been in the case that uh, the way that we've seen inventory grow uh, post-2010 has been higher rates, days on markets grow, uh, and inventory accumulates higher. And I think right now with what we have dealt with in 2020, 2021, 2022, and in 2023, we have these huge uh, housing events with COVID, forbearance, 7% uh, uh, mortgage rates in 2022. But also here, you know, you have near 21st century lows in demand. And the growth rate of inventory, at least even to this week, is uh, um, negative year over year. You working from a very low bar too. It's not like it's not like we're we're anywhere near the fifty uh, year average of active listings. But I think you know trying to convey this story that credit channels run inventory channels, higher mortgage rates, days on market grow. So why has inventory been negative year over year this year? Well, a few things is number one, demand has stabilized. Right, we had uh, home sales went from six point five million to four million. And then we had that bounce from 4 million to 4.55 million. And then we've been slowly moving lower. So, you know, it's going to take, you know, higher rates and more weakness in demand to get inventory growth. But also new listings data took another leg lower as some people just affordability issues. You can't literally list your house. Your mortgage person is going to tell you, hey, you don't qualify for your next home. So when you sell, you're renting. And, you know, Higher rates for longer can create more active listings, but you know the, the the issue that's happened in the housing market is, and this is why I've always stressed: we literally had the biggest one-year sale crash ever in history. You know, from two thousand five, it took years to get to the two thousand eight levels. Here, we did it in twelve months. So, the withdrawal of activity. This is why I'm, I'm, I I don't understand some of the Fed's talks about housing. Where they go, housing's recovering. The absolute income and jobs and transaction volume collapsed in the biggest fashion and history. And they're talking about a recovery. And it's not happening in the data lines. Uh, So that's the existing home sales market. Of course, the new home sales market is different. They can, you know, uh, pay down rates and and new home sales are growing year over year. But uh, in this environment, it's just going to, it's such a slugfest to grow active listings. And what we saw is when mortgage rates do get above 7%, you know, the, while we haven't hit our targets, the growth rate of inventory has picked up a little bit more than what we are in a trend. And maybe it's just going to take higher rates for longer in that context, which is a total um, divergence from what people have talked about. We're always on the verge of a big supply spike because Americans are poor. They're not very educated. They don't read, which is not the case. Most people read. Literacy rates are high. And uh, um, they don't. They they assume that these people will sell to be homeless. So that's not the case. But over time, in a, in a major slugfest, you can have inventory growth, and this is why I think you know twenty twenty four. You know this five year period of mine. I've been waiting for ten years. Twenty twenty four spring inventory is going to be like really interesting, because as of now, mortgage rates have not taken that leg lower like it did last year, where we went from seven seven point three seven five percent down to six percent. Um, rates are crazy, of course, that we've, we've all seen recently, but it'll be interesting to see if we don't have a kind of a, an abnormal event toward the end of the year, can inventory just naturally grow like it has in the past where we see active listings grow. And, and it's confusing again, because, you know, when people think home sales are crashing, inventory should skyrocket, home prices should collapse. Everyone says this on, uh, on many social media fronts, you know, prices 
follow uh, volume. Well, we had the biggest home sale crash ever and new home, uh, home existing home prices went up. So the model broke on them. So for 14 years, I've heard this and here's the best example in ever history. It reversed. And again, that's credit channels, inventory channels, buyers and sellers. Sellers are not stressed. They don't have to do anything you want them to do. There are some that actually do will cut prices and do what they need to do to get the products. But we're just still at a very stable environment in terms of sales only because existing home sales fell so much last year. So last year we had that um, spike in purchase applications because we saw, you know, interest rates go down just a little bit, right? I mean, it just got into a range that people were like, okay, you know, I'm going to go ahead and make the plunge. And so we got, I think, three months, right, of purchase applications. Yeah, we got, it. see, yeah, lower rates with duration works in the sense that the purchase application data flowing, and this is why I've always said, I, I, I always repeat this, what I see out there is people don't know how to track the MBA purchase application data correctly. And that's just experience. Like if you are not religiously following housing data day to day for over 10 years, you wouldn't know. You're just making stuff up. A lot of people just make stuff up. So the forward-looking data, we did this in June. The forward-looking data got better in front of everyone. And the national media and stock traders and YouTube accounts went full-blown into the crash. And this is why we emphasize reading is a good thing, right? If you were able to read what the data was telling you, Right. And then you're just like, whoa, housing is stabilizing. It's going to take a few months for it to hit the data lines. But by, you know, March and April, we'll see it. And um, shame on all of them because it's not like we're, we, we are advocating reading and trying to teach people how to read forward looking housing data. And we have that access here and it's worked for decades. But it's, you know, it's, it's sexier to say home prices are falling 20, 30%. I just went back and remember reading all the stuff in uh, October, November, December, and how, you know, the big crash was going to come. And, you know, and it's just, we are in a different environment after qualified mortgage came in. So uh, I think us, we're trying to teach and higher rates can create more active listings, but in the sense of you're going to have days on market grow, and then that could facilitate because the products that are available or the homes that are available, it's not a lot, but if, if home sales are slowing down, it takes longer to sell those homes. That's the way people should look at it. And that's been here for 13 years. Think about the purity of data that we look at here and we're we're educated. We could read, we could see, and the data has always taught us that. You know, this is why the mortgage rate lockdown, you know, when when people are able to uh listen to that, you can see there is a there's a historical reference here because that's what the data has told us this. We're we're not trying to create a false narrative for attention. Uh, once the data line changes, we can incorporate that variable into the model and say, well, this happened here, but it just hasn't been the case, especially the last uh, three years. In, in, in the most violent period in time in recent history with housing data, uh, because the, the credit channels are so different, rates matter more than anything. I would also point out that, you know, with Altos research data, we don't have to wait three months to know if if there's a, a big spike in inventory all of a sudden. We would know uh, within a week, right? I mean, that's that's updated weekly for every MSA in the country. You have access to that data. I mean, I have access. I just don't know what to do with it. You you get to look at that, and you, you know, I, it, it is amazing to me. I, I was I was talking uh, to a real estate agent a few weeks ago, and I was thinking, you know, how the National Association of Realtors not acquiring Altos Research and giving this product to their 
all their real estate agents. You know, if you want to provide value, you know, to your to your uh, uh, real estate agents, your brokerage, you want to you want. I mean, this is not. We make this joke. This is not the 1400s anymore. We don't dispatch horses to go get a piece of parchment, and then six months later, that person comes back with their horse and go. Oh, by the way, you know the Spain, the Spanish Armada is coming to invade you. Okay, we have data up to every Friday, and because it's up to every Friday, everybody's in. Altus Research gives you so much more because they could tie it to your zip code. They could tell you how hot your market is, how cold your market is, seller, buyer market. There's all these things. And still to this day, we have institutions that aren't using the most modern day technology. Do you know what that makes them, Sarah? I think it makes them old and slow. Yes. And in this day, day and age with, with, with technology, you don't want to be that because in your being slow is so obvious, right? And that's why we track forward-looking data. But, you know, higher rates can do this. It's just, it takes time. And uh, we haven't had a normal housing market post-2020, nothing like we saw in the previous expansion. Uh, so that is, you know, uh, you know, number one question, how do we get inventory to grow? How do we get inventory to grow? Uh, you know, and, and you don't want to just use the same answer, like a lot of people, well, job loss, recession, kick people out. That's a very short-term thing. Uh, um, because you know, majority of people are always working now, and uh, not every homeowner is going to lose their job. So it's only it's a smaller uh, piece of the pie of the total units. But uh, in this case, in this environment, because we're working from the lowest levels ever, you can you can get that kind of trickling up, slow inventory growth, and then uh, that's the only way you could create balance because the builders, again, builders build single family homes. They're usually on contract. And as soon as they're ready, somebody moves in. It's not like an unoccupied uh, house. And every event we go to, Sarah, we always ask the question, does anybody know how many new homes are available for sale today? Nobody answers it. I say 76,000, 75,000, 72,000. In a country of 335 million, 157 million, this is all that is available. Right, because uh, the builders have this business model that doesn't flood inventory. They don't. Second of all, they don't even build homes that fast. It's like people think these are magical doors that are just going to snap their fingers, you know, and go, "Hey, listen, here we are." Oh, there's a vacant lot that's not counted as a shadow inventory. Tomorrow, that home's going to come on the market and cut their <sighs> people. Man, people, read, <laughs> read, read. That's why we have you, Logan. And I think it's true that, um, you know, I, I live in an area where there's a ton of building going on, but I will tell you, they only do a few spec houses at a time and then everything else is under contract. If it's not under contract, they're not building it. They're, they're not going to just be like, let's just build like, you know, a bunch of spec homes, hoping people buy them. They, that is not their model, at least the ones around here. Sarah, now you understand why I want everyone on a live debate. <laughs> because the unfortunately we live in a society where disinformation campaigns are are very popular you could you could lie whatever you want but here in this case trying to teach how inventory grows is is, is i mean we we've, we've done it right we we've, we've gone through these crazy periods of times and and these major supply spikes that people have been talking about for for 12 years now this is year 12 um, just hasn't happened, but I don't care about the answer. I care about why. And it's crazy. Just like this week, the bond market, mortgage rates, the fed, crazy, crazy, crazy. 
Okay, let's talk about that. That's the next topic for discussion. We wanted to get to inventory, but obviously, I think you told me that um, because you track these things, we had another Fred, uh, Fed president come out and talk about the fact, you know, kind of try to talk down this, uh, this market. Okay. So many, many, I mean, God, it was months ago. We, we brought this concept of when will the Fed step in and start to try to intervene in the marketplace? And at the, when the 10 year yield was at four to four to quarter percent, they started to talk about this is very restrictive. And because it's restrictive, this means that if the growth rate of inflation falls, they will cut rates next year. Right there, that's what they told us. So you go with that. So, I mean, one of the reasons why I had four and a quarter at the peak is that if you look at the trend growth rate of inflation, real yields would actually be here. Uh, And right on cue, they kind of, they they got there. Of course, the bond market went against the Fed. So now we're sitting here and we're waiting to see, does that premise hold true? Do they actually come out? Nine Fed presidents have now come out now and uh, are trying to say, hey, we're not hiking rates. We're not hiking rates. And when we wrote that article about the CPI inflation report, the, the internals are actually pretty good. Shelter inflation, at least the rent side of it, uh, 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 spiked up a little bit more than what people had thought. But that's still going to be in, in a downtrend. So that that Fed report is, uh, I mean, that CPI report is actually what the Fed wants to see. Um, and Again, the 10-year-old spike, there there was a terrible auction yesterday. We're talking this is Friday morning. And then overnight, you know, the 10-year-old fell again, another 10 basis points. This is very wild activity. This usually happens around a short-term top in the 10-year-old or a short-term bottom in the 10-year-old. You get these, you know, violent swings around key technical levels. But now it is apparent to everyone that the Federal Reserve is now trying to talk the market down, um, trying to not to let the market get ahead of where they want it to go. So clearly, like I always uh, talk about, real yields got real on them. Um, <clears throat> and if they don't intervene, not intervene, just intervene in terms of message, then they're basically saying, we were wrong a few weeks ago. We think we need to be even more restrictive because the economy is so hot and the labor market. And just remember, jobless claims, right? We always focus on jobless claims. Another good number. We're we're on the verge of breaking another uh, 200,000 on the four-week moving average on jobless claims. Now, continuing claims, people that file for unemployment benefits after 10 days, this data line is going to start to increase. It always increased on the seasonal side. So that's a very seasonal data line. So uh don't put all your eggs in that basket unless the four-week moving average job claims breaks over 323,000. Then the labor market is broken. That's a whole different story. We're not there yet. So so we have we have enough evidence now to know that this this area the Fed isn't comfortable about, right? Uh, even with a hypothetical, maybe some people thought the inflation data was hotter than normal, but the core inflation data is all they care about, and that trend is going low. So it, it's it, it's been a very crazy 12 days. It's been a very crazy year, but we have something to work off. And I, you know, I, I always do this on Instagram where I take the 10-year yield and I show the charts and I say, hey, look at this. This kind of looks like what happened last year. We had the top, we had to try to test on the top, and we're starting to create a downtrend, and it's still kind of intact. So until that breaks out, uh, uh, the, the short and medium trend should be going 
a lower. And now, unlike last year, where the Fed was very hawkish and no, we have to raise rates, raise rates, recession, even if recession happens, we don't care. You all have to lose your jobs. Our life is difficult. Why are you doing this to us, Americans? Stop spending, stop buying stuff, leave us, you know, it's a little bit different now. So uh, it just means we have to focus more and more on the data uh, uh, internally. And uh, uh, this is why, you know, we highlighted jobless claims data uh, more than the growth rate of inflation this year. And the jobless claims data was good. And bond yields are not, you know, uh, they're above four and a quarter. So we have to explain why. Why is this happening? Uh, uh, And we're at the inflection point to where the Fed is trying to talk the market down. Now, if they wanted to, they could change all this. They can say, okay, we really feel that this is too restrictive. We don't want a recession. So we're going to pause on our quantitative tidying until uh, we get more evidence on inflation. They choose not to do that because that's not that's a pivot. So they have the option to do that within a second. But as an institution, they're saying no. This is why this is not a Fed pivot. I know some people tell me, oh, the Fed's pivoting. No, they're, they're not. If they do that, then bond yields have uh, they they can they can get you know bond traders to start buying in very easily. But uh, for now, they're just trying to talk the market down. This is Sarah Wheeler, Editor-in-Chief at Housing Wire with Melinda Wilner, Chief Operating Officer at UWM. Melinda, the wholesale channel has grown significantly over the past year. What does this mean for the industry? Yes, Sarah, it has grown significantly. What we're seeing is a lot of retail loan officers that are coming into wholesale, knowing that it's just a better way and better value add for their borrowers, too. So it's been a really great shift, and I'd say the majority of what's there. And it's been really great. You know, we've watched the wholesale channel based on the direct funded loans rise up to over 22% in Q2 from uh, data from IMF. So it's really great to see the wholesale channel is growing. It's fantastic to get more borrowers into the wholesale channel because it really, really is the best place to go to for a loan. So we're so excited to watch that pickup, to see that pickup, to continue to support mortgage brokers and borrowers that wholesale really is the best way. Thanks, Melinda. And listeners, you can find out more at BeAMortgageBroker.com. So, you know, you, you've talked about like, um, I, I hope this is a top that we're seeing, right? And things might go, uh, you know, might go lower. We're in October, middle of October. I feel like there are some people who have already written off the rest of this year. Um, of course, if you're running a business and you're trying to, um, you know, survive until the new year, that's not true. I'm not saying people aren't working, but just like, as far as all this, it's like, listen, it's just going to take to the end of the year to get, you know, maybe mortgage rates in a better spot, maybe inventory. Is that your view? Well, here's, here's the thing. Um, when mortgage rates came to 6% last year and all of a sudden, purchase application data was growing again. And, you know, we had one of the biggest month-to-month sales prints ever recorded in history. Now, I I'll, I, I caution people, be careful of go- reading too much into that because we're working from such a low bar. But President Kashkari of the Minnesota Fed came out and said, no, this is not good. You're making our lives more difficult. Okay, so that was back then where the growth rate of inflation was still too high for them. So in this case, you know, for the first time, you might have a Federal Reserve that will try to keep the markets from getting worse. Now, the problem is we're at, what, 4.63% on the 10-year yield this morning, wherever we're at. The 10-year yield needed to get, you know, kind of in a range between 337 
to kind of 4% to get that activity. And because we're working from such a low bar, it doesn't really take much to change the narrative out here. And uh, uh, again, if the Fed wanted to, they could easily just say a few things, keep short-term rates high and let it go. They choose not to. But if that occurs, because we're working from such a low bar, we might have another repeat of last year to that degree where we get actually some purchase application data growth, but we're still too too uh, uh, high in yields. Now, the interesting thing is l- this week, purchase application data grew you know 1% week to week and the year over year data being down 19%, that's the lowest year over year decline uh, uh, in, in a long time. But again, the year over year comps are extremely easy, like the easiest comps we'll ever deal with because last year at this time, home sales were we're crashing, even though, you know, on November 9th, our uh, day in infamy, we wrote about it this, we're like, man, home sales are crashed. The forward looking data looks so bad that we're going to get to 4 million. Now, mind that we were just, we were near 5 million sales still while that was happening. That's how bad the data was getting back then. So we have very easy comps to, to show improvement, uh, but it doesn't take much. But as of right now, the 10 year yield is simply too high. And this is why we're having... Every institution in housing uh, calling in, saying, "Hey, Fed, stop rate hikes. Somebody, somebody, do something to to help it." Uh, um, and I, I, I would be very curious if the Fed kept on saying, "Housing's recovering. Nobody worry. Housing's recovering." And it said, "It's just as it's hard to defend an institution when an institution says one thing, the data doesn't say it. And then all of a sudden the institutions that are in the, uh, in that sector are telling you help, we need help. And, uh, um, uh, it's, it's, it's a very interesting time at this point, similar to what we said last year, last year, but last year home sales were crashing in the fastest fashion here. We're just like hovering around 21st century lows. So we have, um, you know, you always talk about the X factor or, or other, you know, external variables that are going to impact the bond market, which impacts mortgage rates outside of all the things we've talked about. And of course, we have that right now with the escalation of uh, the conflict in the Middle East between um, Palestine and uh, or between Gaza and Israel. And so, you know, we see other people, you know, trying to escalate that out even more. In your opinion, what does that do? How does that play into this? As of right now, I would say the Fed matters more to the bond market than that. I would imagine that if none of the Fed presidents and Secretary Yellen, if they didn't come out um, and started to try to talk the bond market down, we would probably have higher yields than today. Usually what happens in a situation like this, the dollar gets really strong. People pour money into bonds and and, and, the, and the dollar is a safe haven. But uh, but I just it just just to me, it looks more like the Federal Reserve statements matter more here just because bond yields are so high now in relationship to where they were the last uh, uh, two to three years. Uh, but if escalation can mean supply disruption, and war is always inflationary. Okay, we're we're not we're not there yet, um, um, but it's something to keep an eye on. Like all X variable factors, you want to keep an eye on because remember, we have a situation in the Middle East, we have a situation in Ukraine, and we always have the China Taiwan lurking in the shadows out there. That's three fronts, right? That's the BRICS, guys. Everybody says, dollar's going to collapse. The BRICS are going to take over the world. Yeah, okay. Listen, 
They're not our friends. All right. So like sitting there and saying, go Russia, go China, go, you know, come on. It's King dollar for a reason. Um, but one of the things that I'm seeing, at least from my view, is that the dollars was getting stronger, but it's not like what it was last year. The dollar got up to 114, all hell broke loose. So it looks like to me, the market is thinking it'd still be contained. Uh, uh, there's no escalation out here. Uh, uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. It's a very delicate time in, on multiple fronts here on that side too. I think people have to realize it's, uh, it's, it's, we have three potential incidents that could all happen at once. Two of them are, are live and well, the third one is the big one that, that isn't occurring. Uh, so whenever you have, you know, a, a, a room full of gasoline, all it takes is kind of one match. And the whole thing goes, but uh, we're not there yet, but we have to be mindful of it. And that's, that's, that, that's, this is our history, right? The history of the world. Conflicts happen all over the world. This one, we have to be a little bit more mindful of if it escalates. Escalation is the, it's the joy drug of chaos. And that's what chaos wants, uh, more chaos. And uh, uh, hopefully something comes about in the next few weeks to resolve this and keep it in in its context. But uh, as of right now, I still say what the Fed in the relationship to the bond market and mortgage rates mattered more uh, uh, in that. So we'll see how this progresses for the rest of the year. But I would be more mindful, especially if the 10-year yield gets closer to that 4.87%, guys. That's the key level right now, 4.87%. Go look at your 10-year yield charts. Take a look at that. Draw that line from the top of there and see what happens. Go back to four and a quarter of last year. you'll you'll understand what i'm talking about but uh yeah we are mindful of everything sarah this is just another thing added to the mix after 2020 (sighs) chaos it's always here lots of things logan thank you for your part in helping us understand the chaos and thank you for uh being our my partner in crime even if you did beat me uh, uh according to the room that we were in on the mortgage rate lockdown sarah i give you an a forever listen listen sarah you get an a forever do you know all these arrogant stock traders who talk a lot and you know when i say let's go they all just run away you did not fear going against me at all right i do not that's a good thing so so and you you put up a good effort but i think one of your mistakes you made that in the next debate if you're gonna try to use my own words against me (laughs) remember that my model that i create is there for a reason so I anticipated you doing that as the editor. That's what you would do. You'd go back. And then the counterpoint was just waiting for that. So the, the key to my debating tactics is I have to let the person do the work for me. And I thank you for that. And everyone gets full, we'll get to listen to that. Uh, okay. Well, I will, I will take note for the next time. I just want to let you know that that victory pretzel that I had <laughs> tasted very good. So thank you for that. Thank you again, Logan. And we will talk to you again soon. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to take a minute to rate the show and leave a comment. And make sure to tune in tomorrow for more news and insight.